Shalom, I'm Yoni, and you're listening to Kabbalah Pod. One thing that the Rebbe Nachman of Breslov discusses as a form of meditation is that which is using a phrase that we say repeatedly. This is uh, not kind of like a chant, but it's a, it's a little different than that. It's, it connects to the concept of a mantra. And maybe the closest explanation or connection to this is found in Buddhist meditation, which is the concept of transcendental meditation. In transcendental meditation, each person has their own phrase in Sanskrit that they're given that they say and they don't share it with anybody and they say it. There, there's an entire process to this. And there's also the concept that many people, you know, grab onto this very well-known idea here. The very uh, it, it's the Om when it, when when you see somebody meditating and they're holding their hands up the lows and they've got their legs crossed and they do the Om and all that. That's a form of transcendental meditation by use of a mantra. Now, within Judaism, we can't use that. We don't use that. We say that's a vodazara, that is clearly not okay for a uh, Jew, observant or not, because it's worshiping a foreign god. And it very much is. I mean, om is a Sanskrit primordial word. So that's something to take into consideration. But then what do you have on the Jewish end? What do you do? And one of the things that Rabbi Nachman suggests is he suggests the phrase Rabbana Shalom, which means master of the universe. And we can say it in English, we can say it in Hebrew, whatever connects with you. The, the idea is that you, when you recite it verbally, quietly or not, when you recite it, you envision it in your mind and it helps you focus and stay on that mantra and that phrase and let the meditation guide you from there. Now, it's very important that we have that connection. If we if we don't know the phrase in Hebrew, or if we, if we say it but we don't imagine what it really means in our native language, then we just say, say it in our native language. This isn't something that the Hezra and the Great Assembly made a regulation on. This isn't davening. This isn't something that's required to be in Hebrew, whereas a lot of other things within orthodoxy do require to be in Hebrew. There's also another concept, and this is what I thought was really interesting, is I've been listening to a podcast called 10% Happier. And 10% Happier, um, one of the things that it does is it says that it's secular, but really it's a connected to Buddhist meditation concept because most of the people involved with the recording of the podcast subscribe to a Buddhist philosophy. And so when, when we're when I'm listening to it, and if anybody else listens to it, we, we need to have that check. We need, to, we need to make sure that we're not allowing ourselves to be swayed into something that is a Vodazara. But they had on a guest speaker, Malika Chopra. Uh, Malika is the daughter of Deepak Chopra, who is very well known within the uh, transcendental meditation world. He's written a lot of popular books, but you're not going to find them at Art Scroll or Feldheim. No, you'll find those more in like Barnes and Noble or another bookstore of that type. So one of the things that she mentions though, she discusses the word phrase om and how that to her is personally very powerful because it's Sanskrit, but it's a primordial word. It's very basic of Sanskrit. And the idea is that the vibrations from saying the word helps heal. And I find this very fascinating. Having studied under Dr. Leonard Sweet at Portland Seminary for my doctorate, um, one of the things that I learned is the importance of sonic vibrations and the importance of sound and how we can't let our eyes be deceived because we see so many things that our eyes may not fully get a grasp on. And that's why we have to listen with our ears. 
which to me really connects with the Jewish tradition that you need to be able to hear Torah and say Torah. The person who is mute and deaf has no Torah obligation, even if they can see. It's not sight that gives us Torah, it's hearing the Word of God, Shema Yisrael. I've discussed this in the past. But getting back to the point, there's this idea of the sonic vibration. And we recognize that in a way. I mean, if you look within Kabbalah, if you look into some traditions, the idea of sonic vibrations is very apparent. I mean, it's it's not as well known as if you just say, oh, the sonic vibrations, but it's something that you see in there. You see the importance of certain phrases. We even say the Siddur has the words in such a fashion, in such a way, in Hebrew that we need to say it exactly that way and that we'll never really understand. Nobody today can understand how deeply perplex it is and how many levels it connects to us with Hashem, but that there's a level there that even the greatest Kabbalist is not going to fully understand and say, you know, this goes beyond what I know. This goes beyond what I have learned, and I know that there's more here. And so even within the words of Hebrew and the phrase and everything with the Siddur, we recognize the importance of these vibrations in that particular way. Saying it in our head, it doesn't accomplish the same thing versus if we say it out loud. That's why it's verbal. So we understand this. Okay, what do we got here? So we've got the idea that there's transcendental meditation. And for the Jew, maybe that's Rabbanu Shalom. Okay, many people use that. They say master of the universe. That's great. That works. But what if we're trying to get a connection? And here's the thing that I find fascinating is within many of the different people groups that all date back, we have a problem with provenance. We, we need to find archaeological scientific evidence that supports our narratives. Now, everything Torah based, anytime there's a psycholo psychological dig, sorry, archaeological dig, every time there's an archaeological dig, we discover more information that shows that, yeah, what Torah said, that really happened. I don't know if that's necessarily happening for other religious groups, for other cultures. I mean, I haven't heard of it, but that doesn't mean that I know for certain. What I can say, though, is that we have archaeological evidence that says Torah is correct. And if we have the oldest tradition there is, I understand that the Chinese claim a tradition of 10,000 years and that there's other groups out there. But the what I've learned on it based off studying their popular religious system and everything is that there's not exactly the same level of proof, not the same archaeological hard science that Judaism and the Jewish people have. So that leads me to something interesting. If we're saying that Om is a Sanskrit word and it's primordial and it comes with the very basics of Buddhism with transcendental meditation, well obviously it couldn't come out of nowhere. And if something predated Buddhism, say, you know, Judaism, then maybe there's a connection there. I mean, after all, most of the Buddhist meditation practices are based off of, yes, there are alterations, but they're based off of the concepts of Jewish meditation. And if we say Avraham Avinu was the first person that introduced the idea of regular Jewish meditation, he probably introduced a form of transcendental meditation as well. And there's a name of God called Shalom. Shalom means peace. And we use it for greetings, we use it for saying goodbye, we use it for all sorts of things. It's a very essential word within Judaism. It's also a word that we can't say before doing our morning Yadim. So why is that? And that's because it's one of the names of God. So there's a connection to the divine with that. Because it, it's God's name, but at the same time we can say it outside of God's name and it means peace and connection in a, a way deeper than we fully understand. And if we look at the word Shalom, that's, that's fascinating, that's amazing. But if we slow it down, if we go 
slow it down, take, take the different parts of it, ready? Shalom. To catch the om there? Maybe, while om is Sanskrit and has an early basis in Buddhism, perhaps it's based off of shalom, which is not a vodazara, and it is proper worship of Hashem, and it does have a Jewish tradition. Just something to think about. As I learn more about Jewish meditation, I learn more about Kabbalah, I'm constantly amazed on how the world has all these beliefs and perceptions and ideas that don't really align up to what actually happened in history. So if the Jewish people, the culture of Jewish people, the ethnicity, you can fight with me on social media on that one if you want, but the ethnicity of the Jewish people has an early dating. If it dates a long time ago, and it has an unbroken Masorah, an unbroken tradition, then we can show that Shalom is quite, in fact, quite a great word to use during our form of meditation using a mantra. And it still accomplishes the same sonic vibration. Just the thought to think about. Let me know what, what you think about that. And, you know, if, if you're engaging in Jewish meditation, I'd love to hear what types of meditation are you engaging in? What do you find beneficial? What areas do you want to work in? And anything you feel like sharing, hit me up on anchor.fm slash Kabbalah or at yidbrick.com. Very hard to misspell that word because I have all the different spellings as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm Yoni and this is Kabbalah Pod. Have a question or topic idea? We'd love your input and ideas. Send us a tweet, message Yidbrek on Facebook, or leave us a voicemail in the Anchor app. Not on social media? That's okay. Send us your ideas at yidbrek.com slash kabbalah.